I was reading this week. It's a book called God Smuggler. Anyone read that book, God Smuggler? You need to read that book. Brother Andrew was a guy that grew up in Holland during the Second World War, saw the atrocities of that, and then um, had a conversion experience and really wanted to be a missionary. As a young adult, he went to Poland to, to this communist conference, and he saw all these young adults marching for communism, and then he discovered he'd sneak away from his group and discover the local church in, in, in Poland. And he found this, you know, very hidden, very, you know, beaten down groups of believers, and, and oftentimes they didn't have any Bibles. He wrote in the book about one time when he shows up this Russian church, the church is packed, the pastor's getting up to preach just like I just did, and he walked it kind of, you know, to the fourth row, grabbed Brother Bill's Bible and came up and then began to preach because he was the only one that owned a Bible in the church. And I thought, wow, it was just a good, I, second time I've read the book, but just a reminder, what a privilege we have today to open God's Word. Uh, the advantage of the internet now is you can download the Bible, you can have it on your phone, but we, we're so privileged. And so Brother Andrew began filling up his little Volkswagen full of Bibles and driving into Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Poland, Russia, Bulgaria, Romania, and just giving Bibles to believers. And for some, it was the best gift their whole life, just getting a Bible that they could share with their church. And so we are privileged today to come to God's Word together and to learn from Him. And so uh, join me in prayer as we just seek to learn from God this morning as we come to His Holy Word. Our God, you are a God who speaks, who communicates with us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And today, would you use your word and your spirit to minister to each of us where we are this morning? And we do not take this opportunity for granted, Lord. In the midst of everything that's going on in our world, you are faithful and you are good. We gather today in your name to bring you glory despite the challenges that are all around us, we look past those to focus on you this morning together. And so bring our hearts to see Jesus in this text. Help us to align ourselves with your holy word and with your will for our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about the meaning of life from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a 3,000-year-old book it's a philosophical book, which he rambles on and on. If you've ever studied philosophy, that's what it is. It's just a bunch of rambling, going around in circles. But this is a different type of philosophy in that he brings God into the conversation, into the discussion. But throughout this book called Ecclesiastes, written 3,000 years ago, there are these sections which seem to be kind of like driving in, you know, in circles or crisscrossing a field. We're, we're sort of wondering, where is he going? In this particular section, he talks about a lot of the issues of life under the sun. That's a phrase he'll use again and again. Life as we observe it. Without taking into consideration the fact that there may be someone else up there looking out for us, let's just evaluate life as we see it, as we experience it, as we know it. He says, the reality is, when you begin to look at life like this, it's actually kind of depressing. It almost sucks the life out of you as opposed to giving life to you. And the word that he'll use again and again is that it's vain or vanity, it's futile. 
It's meaningless. When you just evaluate life from our own limited perspective. And so that's where we are in chapter 3, verse 16 of Ecclesiastes. He's going through the book. And he's saying, hey, let me tell you about some of the things I've observed in life. And, and he says, if, you know, the first thing I see is that, that life is full of injustice. It's not fair. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, I observed under the sun that there is wickedness in the place of judgment. There is wickedness in the place of righteousness. That the people that are responsible for upholding the law are not upholding it. And the people that are, that are up responsible for making sure the right things happen aren't doing it. It's funny that the first two things that he'll bring up are, are this issue of injustice, and then nextly it'll be oppression. And, and of course, these are hot issues right now when we think about you know, police brutality and, and all lives matter and all the different things that are going around us politically right now, and I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying these issues don't go away. 3,000 years ago, they were there, and today they're there. Injustice, oppression, and he's saying, look, I, I looked at this and I said, life's not fair, it's not right, things happen that shouldn't happen. It's not fair, and it's also true you know, for Christians there's a significant amount of injustice in our world. According to the uh, website Help for the Persecuted, every six minutes, one Christian is killed for their faith. Every day, three Christians are abducted. Every week, 37 Christians are imprisoned without trial. And that's in our world today. We living here in Lloyd Minster sometimes don't get that reality. But we understand injustice. We've seen it. We've seen that, you know, those with the most money can get off with the worst crimes. I mean, you know, the, the, the history is proven to that. That people that should be doing the right thing are often not doing the right thing. And he's like, I've seen this, and, and, and what do I do with this? He says in verse 17, I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. It's like, you know, the reality is God will hold everyone accountable for their lives. And then he begins, and he talks about, you know, he kind of goes on and he says, I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam, that they may see for themselves that they are like animals. What do you mean like animals? For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. Now, he's not trying to make an evolutionary statement that we're all just one big family, you know, related to the fish, related to the birds, you know, blah, 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 you know, like you might have seen in your children's shows you watched as a kid or whatever. What he's trying to say is there is an end date for each and every one of us, that even if you practice injustice, you seem to get ahead in, in, in life in the moment, you too will face death just like the person that is just and righteous. You can't escape this eventual reality of having to face your Creator. We're just like animals in that way in that we can't evade that one time when we will stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All are going, oh sorry, verse 21. Sorry, verse 20. All are going into the same place. All come from dust, all return to dust. Who knows if, if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward or the spirits of animals go downward to the earth. He says, I have seen there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? You know, 
I'm looking at life. I'm looking at this injustice, this unrighteousness, this unfairness. It's not making any sense to me. But then I realize we're all going to die and and we're all going to have to be accountable for our lives. He says, so in the meantime, let's just live our lives and enjoy it. Let's take the days that God has given us and find some meaning in that. But of course, this whole book is saying, well, how do you do that? Because when you wake up tomorrow, you'll see more injustice. You'll see more unrighteousness. And then he he looks deeper in chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, And again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. According to the uh, International Justice Mission, there are more than 40 million people in slavery today. Human trafficking generates $150 billion annually. One in four victims of forced labor slavery is a child. Brick kilns, textile factories, child pornography, agriculture, fishing. Men, women, children are being used to Help someone get rich. And thankfully, there's groups like the International Justice Mission that, that walk into these communities and say, hey, this is illegal. And they go to the authorities, like, what is going on there is illegal. And they go in and they, they you know, knock down the doors. These kids that are working 14, 16-hour days locked into this brick kiln are, are freed and they help them get established and on their feet. But, but this happens today. It happened 3,000 years ago. It's happened in every generation. Men and women, children are oppressed by people that are greedy and are selfish, and there's no one there to comfort them. I mean, thankfully, there's people that step up and and try to help, but boy, it it seems like you help one here, and then you just drive down the road, and there's another thousand that need help. You wonder, what's wrong? You think 3,000 years later, we'd, we'd figure out how to stop oppression in our world, but you can't. Those that think that people are inherently good have to deal with this question, like, how come people aren't inherently good? Because look at this stuff still going on today. Why? Well, it says something about human nature, doesn't it? We're not inherently good. We're inherently selfish. And so we, we do unjust things, and we do unrighteous things, and we do wicked things, and we do oppressive things to one another in order to get our own way and to push ourselves forward in life. He said, so I commended the dead, verse 2, who have already died more than the living, who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that's done under the sun. He's like, boy, you're better off to not be born than to have to suffer in this world full of injustice and oppression. I don't know if you ever felt that way. I don't know. I mean, if if you're really into social justice, the more you're into it, the more you realize, whoo, boy, we try, we try, we try, but man, we can't seem to, to get ahead of it. We are still trying, and we haven't given up. But the observations he makes here 3,000 years ago are still observations we could make today. Why are people so selfish? Who could grab a child in Africa and put a gun in her arms and tell her to go kill people? Who, who does that kind of thing? Messed up people. And he sees this, and we see it. And you know how it is. You just kind of get burned out by it, right? The, the World Vision commercial comes on. What do you do? Change the channel. 
Refugees are jamming into boats and getting off the boat, you know, on, on Greece and Italy. What do you do? Change the channel. I'm sure glad I don't live there. Ha ha, I don't have to deal with that. But it happens. And the question is, like, where do you find meaning in all this confusion under the sun? And then he says in verse 4, and this comes a little closer to home. I saw all labor and all skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. This too is futile in the pursuit of the wind. All that hard work that we put in is because is we just want to get ahead of the next person. We want to work our way up the ladder. We want to get the better salary, the nicer house, the, the bigger toys, and all this. You know, and we're just trying to, to wind up everyone else around us. He's like, this is futile and a pursuit of the wind. You just can't get ahead in life that way. But we try, don't we? We think that life would be better if we were the boss <laughs> or if we lived in that house. Or if we had that degree, if we were published, whatever, you know, if we had more friends on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is, well, if I had more followers, you know, if I, if I my YouTube channel was getting, you know, generating millions, boy, wouldn't I, wouldn't I have it, you know, and it, it doesn't work. The YouTube sensation of a year ago is a nobody. There's a new one coming out every day. You can never get ahead in life. And yet we compete for that. We compete. We compete. Jesus talked in Luke chapter 12. This, he tells this parable of a guy that uh, he says, let me just read it to you. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I mean, a good problem, right? Every farmer's dream, right? I don't have enough room for all this wheat or grain or canola or flax, whatever you're growing. Uh, You know, there's a dream year, right? I know what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'll store my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat drink and enjoy yourself. Freedom 55, right? This is, there it is, right there. That's where we got it from. Store up a ton so you can just relax and enjoy life, right? He found the answer to the meaning of life, right? At least in his perspective. And then in verse 20 of Luke 12, God, God said to him, you fool. The Wall Street Journal had him on the front page as the most successful farmer in the Midwest. (laughs) Forbes magazine said, here's business wisdom at its best. And God says, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And that is how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You could spend your whole life trying to get ahead. And you want, ahead of what? 
And he has these two proverbs in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. He says, the fool folds his arm and consumes his own flesh. You know, he says, I'm not going to try. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to let life happen. And, and it's like you, you self-destruct. But then he says in verse 6, and this, is a, this is one you should put up on your window, on, you know, on your visor, and you know, on your mirror in your bathroom. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. When is enough enough? The proverb says, when one hand is full, that's enough. And then you have the other hand to hold a hand, <laughs> to help a child, to hold your wife or husband's hand. God gives you this, you can enjoy this. But when you're always trying to get more, you don't have time for this. I mean, there's a whole generation of people that sacrificed this because they were just trying to fill these. And then they get older and they realize, oh, where are my kids? Oh, I, I was too busy working, trying to provide for them that I, I, I missed out the opportunity just to hold their hand and be there for them. I think we need to hear this in Lloydminster. There's a time when enough is enough. I mean, I had a guy tell me, doesn't come to church necessarily, but he said, yeah, I was working 80-hour weeks. Driving, 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 making big money. And then when it all fell apart, I just was like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And I really had, didn't have an answer for him. But Solomon does. One handful. Contentment. I mean, God promises that in the New Testament. With Jesus, you, you can be content with whatever you have. And then he goes on. He says, again, I saw futility under the sun. There's a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asked, and depriving myself of good things. This too is futile and a miserable task. I mean, he's, he's built up all these, all these resources. And, and then he's like, why am I doing this? Why am I working, you know, burning the candle at both ends? For what? For whom? Like the parable Jesus tells, right? Someone else will inherit what you've worked so hard to get. In some cases, these people die alone and wealthy, and the state or the province or the crown comes in and they, they, they liquidate their assets, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we'll just give them away, and they take their share. And you wonder, is that why you worked? So we can help the government with their, you know, their programs? Yeah, no one's working for that. I mean, but this is what happens. Why? If you have that struggle, give your money to the church. We'll take it. You know, <laughs> we can build a building out there. I mean, you know, but we'll, we'll take your inheritance. I mean, there, there's a better investment of that resources. Give it to missions. Give it to open doors. Give it to Voice of the Mars. I mean, you know, invest it wisely. Give it to the camp. But this too is a futile and a miserable task. You see, what happens is all these journeys are are self-centered, self-absorbed, narcissistic journeys where we are doing things for ourselves, for ourselves, for ourselves, and not considering others. And the challenge with Ecclesiastes is, is he's going to come now to this little teaching section and say, life is not about you and yourself and the individual. It's about the community. That's why, like I said, one handful allows you to have a hand for someone else. He says in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. I grew up in the mountains, love hiking, camping. And this is one of the rules of camping, right? I mean, you could do solo hikes, but you're better off camping with someone else. 
Because then when something happens, you've got someone to, to call or to go get help or whatever. I mean, that's just good practice. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And this is not just, you know, physical warmth, but it's emotional warmth. As you go through the cold and windy days of life, you've got people there that are, are, are keeping you strong. And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I mean, this, let me just, you realize, in the New Testament, the apostles and the disciples and the missionaries are always going at least in pairs because there's just strength in numbers. There, there's, there's strength in companionship. There's strength and, and, and value in the journey when you have someone to share it with. I mean, God said of Adam in the Garden of Eden, everything was good, 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 not good. What's not good? That he's alone. So he brings Eve. Boom, now it's good. Yeah, we were created for companionship and for relationship. But what Solomon and the teacher is observing under the sun is that selfish people are walking dead-end roads, lonely roads, oppressive and unjust roads, roads that lead nowhere. And he comes and he says, man, we need each other. That's why Pastor Frank is here. Because he's going to take our church and help us to become connected with each other. His role is to, to, to just equip us and guide us and structure and, and lead us so, so that we're not coming into church, doing our, our one-hour thing and leaving and saying, that's it. No, no, church begins here, but it doesn't end here. It, it continues in the week when you're supporting each other, caring for each other, loving each other, ministering and encouraging each other, laughing together, eating together. Sign up for Wednesday night. <laughs> Dine and dash. Because God wants more for your relational life than what you are currently experiencing. The greatest joys in my spiritual journey is when I've had close Christian friends walking with me. But for some reason, the older I get, the harder it is to do that. I don't know why. It shouldn't be. And we don't want to get to be in the end of our lives and just kind of be looking and there's no one around. The ideal is you get to the end of your life and there's tons of people around. I love doing funerals for just godly saints where there's just, the church is full of people that were just blessed through their life. And they may not have had a lot of money, but this, the richness of their relationships just speaks to the, 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 this, the ministry that God gave them just to love and encourage and minister to people. We need each other. But loneliness is something that he observes here, but we were created for companionship. And then he says in verse 13, he, he, he describes the situation that he observes in life. These are people that make it to the top, but then don't stay up there very long. He said, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. So there's this young guy that comes from prison and he becomes the king. The king wouldn't listen anymore, is no longer king. And you think, okay, he's reached the top. And he said, I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. He's like, you know, people get up there and they're gone. People get up there and they're gone. People get up there and they're gone. I mean, what is success? There's an emptiness. 
in, trying to get to the top and stay at the top. What is the top, anyway? But he said, this is my observations under the sun. Injustice, oppression, loneliness, jealousy, you know, striving to get to the top and only and, and, and staying there for a brief moment and then someone else comes along. And I mean, it, maybe you realize this, right? Like none of us is indispensable in this world. I mean, we think, oh man, everything's going to fall apart and, and we go, your chair is barely cold and they got another one sitting in there ready to, to take over your job, right? And you think, wow. You may sell your whole life for a company, but then again, when you retire, you're gone. They've put another person in the chair and they've taken your pictures off the wall and you're gone. You get cancer and you have to leave your job. Yeah, they're there, sorry for a moment, but then they get someone else in the job because they need to get it done and, and, and you're just a past memory. That's the reality of life. It's futile. It's a pursuit of the wind. And so all these pathways just kind of lead us in this crisscross circuit of life, trying to find meaning, trying to find meaning, trying to find meaning, and then chapter 5, verse 1, boom! We find ourselves at a different place. And he says, now in the midst of all this meandering through life, let's just poke our heads above the clouds, above the sun for a moment. And he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they ignorantly do wrong. Don't be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And so he'll go on, but he's like, basically, the journey of life crisscrosses, switchbacks, back and forth, but God is in there, and every once in a while, he does something in your life to bring attention to him. And you have a choice to listen and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some attention or, or just ignore it and keep going through life. But what he's saying is, as you wander through, stop and let God speak in those moments when he's trying to get your attention. Quit trying to talk your way through life. Let God speak in your life. Quit trying to just try harder, work harder, talk more, you know, you know and, and just, just be still. I mean, he's, he's making all these observations, and then here in, in chapter 5, he actually makes commands. He's like, guard your steps. Watch your, watch your step. Look where you're walking. You're coming into the presence of God. As you've wandered around the world, you've, you've seen all this stuff, and then suddenly you realize God is in this somewhere. And he actually wants to speak to me in this confusional and mess that I live in. And I believe everyone has opportunities. As a kid, as a teenager, our teens bring their friends to youth. Some of them hear the gospel and some are like, yeah, that's what I need. Others just ignore it and keep doing their life. But, but it's one of those crossroads where God's like, hey, Listen to me, and, and the kids have a choice to believe. And I don't, same thing, they come here Christmas Eve, they come here on Easter, and they, they hear something, and they're like, oh, that was nice, sure enjoyed the singing. But God's like, just, would you stop and listen to me for a moment? Things, the wheels start to roll off on our vehicles of life. Things aren't going the way we want it to go. And, and God's like, I'm trying to speak to you in this moment. Things like 9-11 happened. Remember, everyone was kind of, <gasps> Churches were full for a couple weeks, and then, oh, I don't need God. I'll just go back to the way I was. You can have a crisis in your own life and kind of have a come-to-God moment, but then after it fades away, you could decide, well, I, I'm okay back where I was. And, or you could say, no, I, I need God, and I'm going to keep moving forward with Him, and this is the choice we make. Watch your step. 
He says in verse 3, Just as dreams accomplish much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than you, that you vow and do not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? I mean, basically, there was a, this thing where they would vow, I vow by this, that if this happens, I'll do this, right? Well, if God, you know, God gives me, you know, a great crop, then I'll do this for him. And, we you know, they kind of would make these sort of, you know, agreements with God and, and try to sort of, you know, barter, negotiate. And Jesus comes along and says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Forget this vow thing. But here in the ancient Near East, 3,000 years ago, he's like, look, talk is cheap. Don't try to make a lot of words to God. Don't try to elevate your spiritual status through what you say. Just do what you say you're going to do. This is integrity. This is what we long for in leadership, isn't it? We just long for a politician that actually keeps her promises, his promises, without making excuses. You know, we long for, you know, just to see things, you know, people just follow through with their commitments. Maybe you had a parent that never did that, right? Always made promises, never, never, never followed through. Maybe a, a teacher, some kind of youth leader, like, oh, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Never happened. And you're wondering, well, who, who can I count on? And I'm telling you today that you can count on God to keep his promises. And that we, as, as his followers and as, as those created in his image in relationship with him, when we make a promise, we need to keep it because we are reflecting God's work in our lives. And, and religious people like to talk a lot about their religion, but, but what he's saying here is you're, you step carefully when you come into God's presence. And better to keep your mouth shut than to say a whole lot of stuff. It's better to listen. You know, we have a hard time listening in our culture. I don't know if you noticed that. You've never been frustrated at a drive-thru when you're trying to just say your order and they're like, they're not listening? Would you like this? No, I'm just ordering this. You know? What about this? You know, no, no, I'm just trying to get this ordered. And, they're, you know, and, and it happens and people don't listen. You sit down with someone, you have a conversation and then, and then they go and do something totally different. Like, didn't we talk about that? They weren't listening. And then you try talking to someone that's got that rectangle thing in their hand. Good luck with that, eh? They're not listening. So God wants to speak to you. Moses is out in, in the wilderness tending to sheep. He likes the sheep. He likes the wilderness. He's quiet. He's solitude. It's peaceful. It's therapeutic. It's spiritually engaging. And then he sees this fire. It's so weird because this bush is on fire, but it's not like it's not burning down. It just keeps burning. It's like, wow, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff in the wilderness. That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. He starts walking. It's like, whoa, Moses. Take off your sandals because the ground you're walking on is holy ground. Whew. Takes off his sandals and then God speaks to him from the bush. And Moses tries to speak to God, but his words are pretty feeble. But God's like, look, I got a plan for you, Moses. He didn't expect to meet God in that moment, but God expected to meet him. Rarely do we expect to meet God in the switchbacks of our life, but he wants to meet you there. In the hard times, in the times of grief and loss, the times of significant financial hardship, 
The times when you just feel like you're all alone. The times when you're depressed and anxious. He's like, I- I'm there. You feel like you're on this journey alone. He said, no, no, I'm right here with you. And he says, so as you come to the temple, as you come to the place of worship, as you come here every week, God wants to speak to you. No matter where your journey has taken you through the last five, six days, God is wanting to meet you here and speak to you. He says, watch your step. Don't come in with a lot of words. Come in ready to listen, to hear, to obey. It says, for many dreams bring futility, and so do many words. Therefore, fear God. And that's how he ends this little section. Fear God. He'll get to talk about fearing God at the end of the book as well. But to fear God is to give him the, the respect that, that, that he, he deserves. It's to acknowledge that, that, that you and God are not the same. That he is the creator, you're the creature. That he deserves the, the worship and the adoration and the praise, and you do not. Um, our Mormon friends think that we'll someday kind of, kind of catch up to God. It doesn't happen. That the Bible makes it real clear. There's always a gap between the Creator and His creation, and we are just privileged and honored by His grace to be able to be in a relationship with Him, but we'll never, ever achieve the status. So we, we live in this, in this relationship of fear. Now, it's not being afraid of God. It's respecting Him for who He is. You know I just think of my own dad. My, my dad was a great dad. But when he, when he said, that's it, like that was it. It wasn't a negotiation. He didn't count three, two, one. He was like, that's it. And that was it. And, and otherwise, you know, there was a consequence, right? But, and, and he did discipline me in a loving way. But there was, whenever I was afraid, the place I wanted to be was right next to my dad holding his hand. In the dark, when we were camping, I wanted to be right next to dad. I wanted to know that he was there. I knew that I was safe when dad was with me. We'd walk on this road when we lived at the camp. I mean, there were bears and deers and wolves and who knows what in the bush, but I was okay as long as I was right next to dad. And this is what God is saying. I want to walk with you through life. I want you to hold my hand. I want you to be my, to, let's, let's, let's walk this together. I, I'm here to help you. I'm here to, to guide you. To, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to live in anxiety. You can have me with you. Fear God. It's better than the alternative of trying to figure out life on your own without God's help. We need God. And so as we close this sermon and the team's going to come up and we're going to, Sean's going to sing a song which comes right out of Ecclesiastes 5. It's a, it's a response and she'll invite us to join in at the final course there. I just want you to think about what is it that brings you meaning in life? And how does Jesus provide an answer for you in in your current situation? What is it that God wants you to learn from his word today and, and, and from the word as you encounter it during the week? I mean, this is a privilege we have to open God's word. And he's like, look, you're coming into God's presence. This just reminds us that in all the confusion, the chaos that's out there, there is someone that we can count on. It's God. And we need that. That's why I'm so glad we gather here every week. Even with all the stuff that's going on, this is just a recalibration, a reminder that we need God. And we come to him first and we come to listen. So I'm saying this week, Let God speak to you first before you turn on 
the news or read that email or follow that Twitter feed or whatever it is you're doing. Let God have the first word and then let him have the last word in your day. And I think it will change your perspective. Guard your steps. Fear God. Shauna, would you lead us in that song? Focus our hearts on, on Jesus as we close out.